All right, let's go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be in uh, verse 42. And the Bible says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and part of them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and in the breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and a singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we have a summary here of what the church was going, how it was, you know, taking shape. Remember in the uh, last verse there of 41, it said that after Peter preached, 3,000 souls were added to the church. So we went from 120 in the upper room to 3,000 souls were added in one day. And we learned um, what a good sermon looks like from Peter. When Peter preached, Peter used the word. He preached Jesus. He preached the resurrection from the dead. He preached Jesus crucified. He also preached repentance. Turn from repentance. And a good sermon, a good gospel message, we saw will leave uh, the hearer expecting, what must I do if the word is preached hard enough, strong enough, with fervor and fire? It should leave the hearer wanting something, needing something from God. And that's what a good message, you know, we need to preach like um, using the word as a schoolmaster to bring people to grace. So what do you got to do to bring somebody to grace? You got to preach the law. You know, you got to preach, you know, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. The Bible says, thou shalt not, you know, have fornication or commit adultery. The Bible says, you shouldn't, thou shalt not steal. You've got to bring the unbeliever to a place where they realize that they've broken God's law. And they have to agree with that and say, I realize that. And then, what must I do? Turn away and then come to Jesus, like we said, to receive forgiveness of sin. We saw last week that that forgiveness, it's not just, oh, you're forgiven. He actually removes the, separates the sin from the individual. All right? And that's what, it's very important that. It's very important when we're approaching believers that we don't take it personal with the stuff that they're into because redemption separates the sin from the individual. Preach the law, preach, preach you know, thou shalt not do this, but don't go, don't become a hater. 
One of the things I didn't like when I was at Mardi Gras with Brother Rick is there's a whole camp of Christians that call themselves believers, but the way they speak to people that are lost is not right. They never, they never bring, you know, they always, always they have this kind of, I, I can't explain it. It's just like, a, it's just, it just feels like hate, you know? It's, you know, they say things like, you know, God hates gay people and God hates this. And, you know, and they use languages that are just, you know, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. He died for the sinner. For God so loved the whole world. So how can he hate somebody that he died for? He doesn't. What he hates is a sin because what he hates about sin is he hates how it destroys a human being. He hates how sin defiles his creation and turns them into somebody that they're not supposed to be. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. And, you know, and if you ever watch Lord of the Rings, you see those monsters, those orcs. They're nasty creatures. But in, in, in that, they're fallen elves is what an orc is. And, in, and it, you know, sin turns a human being into a monster. And God hates that. He hates seeing his cre- creation, you know, morphed into something that they weren't made to be. So the way we got to, the way we break it off is through the name of Jesus, amen? And so, um, sorry, I, my movie references are pretty bad. I got to move away from those. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so we saw then when he preached like that, he preached a hard message, 3,000 were added. So I love, see, these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible because they're a perfect picture of a healthy church. Notice the things that the church did. Number one, the church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. All right? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, we've heard that scripture many times that all scripture is inspired by God. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, if you got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. 2 Timothy 3.16. I love it. It's the 3.16s of the Bible. Um, Is it 2 Timothy? Might be one. Second Timothy three sixteen. Everybody there? And you guys find that all scripture is profitable for doctrine? Did you find that? What verse is that? Three sixteen? There it is. All scripture is given. By the inspiration of God, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All right? So the church continued steadfastly in the word of God. 
and the doctrine. The doctrine is what is right. All right? Reproof is what is not right. For correction is how to get right, and instruction is how to stay right. All right? What is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And the Word of God is used to check the, the Christian's heart, the believer's heart. You know, many people don't like to be told what to do. That's reproof. When the Word of God checks your heart and it tells you you shouldn't do this, or a pastor um, or leader in the church says, Hey, brother, that, you know, that's not right. What you're, what you're saying there or what you're believing or the things that you're trying to, you know, say or believe, you need to change that. That's a reproof. Your doctrine's not correct there. And when the, when the apostles were preaching and teaching the word, and we saw that Peter used the word in his sermon, the church didn't say, well, I don't know if that's right, Peter. I don't know about that. No, they received the word, and they continued steadfastly in the teaching. The other thing is, is they continued in fellowship. They liked to hang out with each other. They liked to be together, amen? They liked to assemble themselves. They came together. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of heaven, in, in, in the Lord, in the kingdom of God, there's no lone rangers. There's no, you know, individuals. Like brother was saying, we're called to be a body. We're called to be a family. We need each other. Amen. What happens, though, is the devil tries to isolate us and say that, you know, they don't like you at that church or, you know, or, you know, I don't feel love. I, I can just do church at home. I don't need to go here. And what happens is, is when, when you get isolated, man. Bad things happen. I mean, just watch, uh, what was that one? Just watch those animal programs when the, when the lion is going after the zebras or the wildebeests. What are they looking for? They're looking for that one lone ranger that is separated from the herd. And they, they always pounce on the one that is separated. That's why we gotta stay together. So they love the fellowship, all right? The other thing they like to do is the breaking of bread. They took communion. They understood the covenant table, all right? But they also ate together. We'll see that here in a minute. And the other thing they did is they also loved prayer, all right? So you have the different meetings there. You have the, the Bible studies. You have the fellowship where they all come together and worship, they take communion together. They love prayer meetings. They love to do these things, all right? And that's what made the church hot for God. You know, the thing about hunger and thirst for God, it doesn't, it's not something that comes, um, it just doesn't, you can't turn it on like a switch. You can't turn the hunger for God or the thirst for him on. It takes time, it takes meeting after meeting, prayer and fasting and coming and just just coming and doing the things of God, doing the things of God over and over and over. And all of a sudden you look back and you say, man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a more on fire than I was last month. I'm more on fire than I was last year. I'm hungry for God. I'm thirsty for God. I want to be more in his presence. I want to do more for God. 
That just, no, that doesn't come by someone just laying hands on you. The laying hand stirs up the gift, but what happens is you, is you continue to press into God, press in, get hungry, get hungry, get thirsty, press in. And all of a sudden, your, your heart expands and you want more of him. And so, and it comes by verse 42, by doing those things. That's why it's important for the church calendar to have an open calendar of many things that the body of Christ can do together to keep a hungry heart for the things of God, amen? You know, 45 minutes on Sunday morning is not gonna, is not gonna cre create a healthy, bold, strong, radical Christian that can take persecution like uh, our brother and sister were talking about tonight. So verse 43, it says, they were, great fear came upon every soul. And now that's a holy fear, not, that's a holiness fear. That's a fear like, I daren't, I daren't do that. I daren't watch that. I daren't take my kids there. I daren't walk into that place. A holy fear, you know, that, man, I don't even, I don't even want to blaspheme the name of the Lord by being, being even seen in this place. Why? Because there's such an awareness of the Holy Spirit. See, when you're aware of his presence, when you're aware of the Holy Spirit, you don't want to take him into those places. Amen? The bottom line is he won't go to those places. And so there was a fear that came upon him, a holiness. And many wonders and signs were done. So there were miracles, signs and wonders, as Jesus said. These signs shall follow them that believe. So they were moving in the supernatural. All right, so look at this. They love the Bibles. They love Bible study. They love doctrine. They love fellowshipping and worshiping together. They love breaking bread, taking the communion together. They love prayer meetings. There was holiness, and there was the supernatural. All right? That's a strong church. And in verse 44, it says, and all that believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men that had need. So there was great prosperity and generosity in the church. All right? There was a spirit of giving in the church. They wanted to give along with the supernatural, along with the holiness, along with the good teaching. They wanted to be givers, all right? Now, it says that they had all things in common. Now, I wanna bust a myth here. There are many people that believe that communism is, is what's happening here, like it's a good thing, all right? and. And it's not a good thing. Communism's not a good thing. And I'll tell you why. Because look at, go over with me to uh, chapter 5. And I want to show you something here. That this wasn't forced giving. And that's what communism is. Communism is an is a overlord or a government forcing the people 
to have all things in common. It comes by force. This wasn't by force. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 3. And we'll learn more about Ananias and Sapphira here as we get to this chapter. But I want to pull something out to uh, help our text here. Um, Look at verse 3. So Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to to keep back part of the price of the land? And look at verse 4. It says, While it remained, was it not thy own? Private property. Who did it belong to? It belonged to Ananias, didn't it? Peter asked him, hey, when you had the land, did it not belong to you? Didn't belong to us. Didn't belong to church. It belonged to you. It was your possession. It was your personal property. Right? And look at this in verse 4. Then he says, and after it was sold, right? So he sold the land. Now he has money. Look at this. Was it not in thy Whose power? Own power. So when you had the money, didn't you have the power to do whatever you wanted to do with it? We didn't tell you what to do with it. We didn't force you to sell the land. We didn't force you to bring the money to the church. We didn't control that. There wasn't a government telling you, you have to do this. You had every, it was your property, And it was in your power to do as you were led, all right? And that's what was happening here. It wasn't controlled. So if you ever get involved in a church or an organization where they start trying to tell you what you should do, that you should do this or you should do this, watch out because you're heading for trouble there. That's how you end up with these wild, you know, cult cult farms out in California, man, where everybody's wearing white robes and drinking poisonous Kool-Aid at the end of the day, all right? Things like Waco, Texas. There's warning signs that happen, all right? You know, um, you know. then you have things like people saying, you know, you can always tell when, well, we don't believe in procreation. That's what Shakertown down in Lexington's about. We don't, you know, that they're, they're, there's denominations who say they're, they're Christians and yet they don't allow anybody to get married and there's only a few people that can go around and, and as they see fit, make private selections of who they're gonna, you know, procreate with and stuff. This stuff is goofy, man. But this is in the earth. It's still in the earth. And it has happened in the history. And so these are the, some of the things that what they end up doing is, is they end up missing verses 42 through 47. They get away from the apostles' doctrine. They start making up their own doctrine. Nowhere in the Bible does that say that. Paul doesn't say, you know, every, every person should not be married, that we should have eunuchs, that it's, it's, the church would go a lot further. Paul never said that pastors shouldn't be married like the Catholic church says. That's not in the Bible anywhere. Nowhere does the Bible teach that, that men should not marry if they want to be in church leadership. These are things that go against the doctrines because men try to 
put these things in place to try to create some sort of form of godliness. But it is a twisted and it is ungodly because it's against the apostles' doctrine. Paul said, man, if you want to be with a woman, you should be married. That's what he said, flat out. He was for marriage. Now, there are people, they have a gift. They, can, they don't desire to be with a woman or a woman with a man, and they give themselves over to the Lord. I tell you, you can get a lot more done when you're single for Christ than you are married. And Paul teaches that. He said the only really benefit of not being married is you can get more done for Christ because you are only have to look out for yourself. You can go when he says go, you know, do what he says do. It's, a, it's, it's like a lot easier. But when you're married, a man, he has the spouse to look for. He's got his wife to look after and the wife's got the husband to look after. They got to do things together. Then children come along. That's another thing. You know, and these people that get married and have children and they leave their family as orphans while they're out in the ministry somewhere, I just don't buy that. I don't agree with that. There's many families that have been laid on the altar of ministry and sacrificed. They don't even know who their dads are. That's not right. Paul actually says that's not right. So, you know... They move away from these doctrines. And the same thing happens with communism here. You know, they try to force this, this communal living. They try to force it on people. No, it has to come by the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Bible says that giving is, 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 is a generosity. And there is, it's one of the spirits. There is actually a gift from the spirit of giving. A supernatural ability to just be generous. Amen. And some of you have experienced that before. So when they have all things in common here, you know, we need to understand that it was the spirit of generosity and it was a holy thing that God stirred in each individual to do. And it just, it took place like this. So in verse 46, it says, um, and they continued daily with one accord. Daily. They met daily. They met daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house. All right? So they met in the temple and then they met house to house. Everybody say temple and house to house. All right? Now go with me over to Acts 20, 20 real quick. Acts 20, 20. When Paul was about ready to uh, leave um, the Ephesians, he was meeting with the elders, and he knew he probably wouldn't see them again. And he had spent quite a long time there in Ephesus. Three years, as a matter of fact. Now, look at verse 20. This is what he's saying to him as he's leaving. He said, and now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. All right? So Paul said, I've taught you and showed you 
publicly and house to house. So publicly is the, the, the sanctuary, the temple, and house to house is in individual homes, okay? The church, from the beginning of the church, has always had a temple ministry and a house to house ministry, all right? A small group ministry. You know, meeting together in the temple is what we're doing tonight. We're in the main sanctuary. This is where people from many houses all over Claremont County and even in Browns County and Hamilton County, and sorry if I missed a county, we all come together as one into this place, okay? And this is meeting publicly. This is the public meeting area. This is the sanctuary, the altar of the Lord where God has said, this is going to be our public place of worship for our family. Okay, but God also has house to house where people meet in homes, house to house. Now, this was really big in the Jesus movement. And some people really are some people really do this. But I've got a 2020 vision for Christian Life Center. It's an Acts 2020 vision that the church, if it wants to be a strong church, It has to meet publicly, and it has to meet house to house. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, there is an intimacy and a fellowship that you get in the homes that you don't get in the public service. There is more transparency. You can be more open. If you have issues, if you need to confess one to another, you can do that in a house group. You can do that in a a house-to-house meeting. Number two, it is also the place that is, when persecution comes, that there has to be a network of house churches or underground networks that are still thriving even though, you know, The government tries to shut things down. Like, for instance, now there's, I don't think it'll happen, but I'm just giving you a, 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 just a hypothetical. If the, if Claremont County really wanted to shut this church down, like say they said, oh, we can't meet any get anymore. We're going to have COVID, you know, COVID shut down, lockdown. Nobody can meet anymore. We said, no, man, we're having church. You're going to keep the saints from assembling. And we're having church. Well, they can start coming up with ideas. Fire codes, city ordinances, all these different things that they'll start trying to, you know, hit you with. And we can overcome them. We can do them. But, you know, they, they, can, they can, you know, keep trying to. Now, to praise God, we have much more freedom than that. We're nowhere near that. But what I'm trying to tell you is, okay, You've got to make sure that you have a network of churches, a network of people that are meeting house to house in case they ever did try to come and close houses of worship down. I'm just saying, that's number two. Number three, and probably the greatest reason, all right, and this is really where my heart is for the 2020 vision, there's no greater way to evangelize a neighborhood than from your own home. Because if, you, if your neighbors know that you're 
a Bible-believing home fellowship and that you love God, and you believe in healing, you believe in the power of God, you believe in signs and wonders, and your neighbor has an emergency and they need prayer, they're not going to get in their car and drive all the way down here to Christian Life Center. Perhaps it's a night that the, the church is not even open. But I'll tell you where they're going to know to come. They're going to know to go next door. Those people believe in God over there. We need a miracle. They're going to know where to come. They're going to know to come to your house. And it's, it's just such a great way to be a city on the hill in our neighborhoods. And finally, it's exactly how the church was organized in the early church. All right? They met house to house. And they met publicly. And so, you're still in Acts 20. Go over to verse 27. He says, Paul's still speaking about to the Ephesians. He says, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I've not shunned to declare unto you. So he basically took them through the whole Bible. He taught them the entire word of God. He showed them everything he possibly knew to teach them. He held nothing back, it says. And look at verse 31. And by the space of three years, I cease not to warn you, every one of you, day and night with tears. All right? So Paul had meetings publicly and house to house for three years, evening and in the daytime. Day and night he met. Two meetings a day for three years. Catherine and I did the math. If, if we had the same amount, if we did, Paul did two meetings a day for three years. Based on our current church calendar, it would take us 21 years to accomplish what Paul did in three years. And that's about right. Most pastors in their tenure usually spend about 20 years in a church. But Paul did it seven times faster. Why? Night and day, three years, publicly and privately. Publicly and privately, night and day. John Wesley, the great fathers, the people that birthed movements for the Lord didn't care about the things of the world and the pleasures of this world. They were about the Father's business. They didn't let up, stop, or quit. That's a long, that's, that, that blows me away that it took him three years, what currently, based on our current meeting structure at CLC, would take us 21 years in meetings to accomplish what Paul did. If the church wants to be on fire and we really want to see God move and when he does bring in the souls like we talked about on Sunday, we're going to have to make some adjustments. We as a church body are going to have to make adjustments for the harvest. Because I'm telling you, when somebody gets off of heroin, they need church every night. When somebody's trying to kick addictions or they're so on fire for God... They want to be in the house of the Lord. They want to be in a Bible study every night. 
house to house. When the Jesus movement kicked off, Keith Green used to teach Bible studies in house groups. You'd have, you'd have young people, man, just going from different house to different house as they were meeting house to house, and then they'd go to church on Sunday. Then on Monday, there'd be a Bible group over here. Tuesday, there'd be something over here. Wednesday, what is it? Because, man, people, when they're trying to get out of the clubs and the rave, and they're trying to get off ecstasy, and they're trying to get off all these things, and they're trying to get off of OTR, then they need to have something every night. These people that, you know, you know what it was like when you were in the world. Man, when we were on a bender, we were on a bender every night, weren't we? We didn't stop until we couldn't go anymore and we collapsed. But we were out hitting the clubs every night when we could. As long as we had money and energy, we were in the club. And that's how it is. And you think you can get somebody off the streets, set free from drugs and alcohol, set free from, you know, sexual addictions, set free from sleeping around, chasing women, chasing men. You think you can get them set free and all of a sudden expect them to come to church on 45 minutes on a Sunday and then have to wait an entire another seven days to get a fresh feeling? We're deceiving ourselves, folks. We're deceiving ourselves. See, what we got to do is we got to wake up and realize that the, the, the church is no longer about our comfort. It's about serving the generation that's coming to us. Amen. And what do we need to do to make sure that that generation doesn't fall away like we saw on Sunday? What do we need to do to make sure that those people never, you know, forget that he's a supernatural power God? Well, the model's right here. Keep your doctrine. Keep your fellowship. Take communion together. Pray together. Live in holiness. Practice the supernatural. Be generous. Give. Be one in the public worship. Break bread. And go to house-to-house Bible studies where people meet. It says, and they were with gladness and singleness of heart. Back to chapter 2, verse 46. They ate their meat with gladness. They were thankful. They were glad to be together, glad to eat. And they had, look at that, singleness of heart. The church had a single vision. The church's heart was single in what it was trying to accomplish. We didn't have a group over here trying to do this and a group over here trying to do that and a group over there trying to do that and a group over there trying to do that and a group over there trying to do that. They were one church that said, God, what is our purpose? What is our purpose as Christian Life Center? What is it exactly the niche? What do you want us to do? And the Holy Spirit speaks, and the church rises up, and they do that with a singleness of heart, everybody pulling the rope together. But if you have dual purposes, you have, you know, everybody pulling the wrong, you know, in a different direction, first of all, you go nowhere because everybody stands still while they're pulling opposite of each other. Also, you drain church resources. You drain finance. You drain manpower. You drain just the energy and the morale of the church because 
We're not doing it together in singleness. They've got their own vision. They've got a vision. They got a vision. They got a vision. Everybody's trying to do their own vision, and we're not going with a singleness of heart. A successful church has a singleness of heart in doing what God wants them to do. And it says, because of this, what is the fruit of all this? Well, first of all, they're happy. They're glad. They're happy and glad. Verse 47, they praise God. They're praising God. And the other thing it says is that they have favor with all the people. So the people, not even not just the believers, but the unbelievers in the community, actually they had great favor. People wanted to, you know, do things. If you needed something, if you got things got done, because there was great favor in the community. Why is that? What did Jesus say? How will they know that you're my disciple? By the way that you love one another. Amen? Love is the key, man. And these things that we talked about in these verses here, it, it brings that spirit of love, man. So how do you have a successful church? Number one, you got to love doctrine. You got to love the Bible. You got to love the teaching of the Bible. You got to do what the Bible says. Number two, you got to love fellowship. I, I like to put worship in there. You got to love to worship and praise God with his saints. You got to like to be able to assemble and gather together. Amen. Number two, you got to have communion. You got to take communion. You got to have a church that has communion, that understands the table of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And you got to have prayer. You can't build a church. You can't, you can't know what the single vision is if you don't have prayer. You got to have a singleness of heart. You got to have holy fear. Can't be living like the world lives. Can't watch the stuff they watch, listen to the stuff they watch, talk like they talk. You know, there's got to be a, a separation. We got to be generous, have the spirit of giving in the people. You got to have public worship. And you got to have house-to-house worship because they're, they're, it's just a dynamic. I believe in it strongly. It's a 2020 vision that I have because it's in the Bible, and it built the church strong because you got to have a network to bring people in when they get saved. You just can't let them survive on Sunday morning. you got to have house-to-house to put the people in. Let the different gifts. And that's the other thing, too. You know, there are some of you out here, man. Some of you have the gifts of, and I'm wrapping up here. Some of you got Ephesian gifts. Some of you are called to teach. Some of you have pastoral heart. Some of you have different gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they're not really being exercised on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday. Sometimes they are, but maybe not to their potential. But when the house-to-house meeting is there, you know, only so many people can have the microphone on a Sunday and a Wednesday. Just, there's only, a, it's just for the sake of, you know, order and just time, there's just so much you can do. Only so many people can speak. But the house to house stirs up the gifts that are in the body of Christ throughout the network. Throughout the network. More teachers, more pastors, more preachers. Amen? And that's, why the house-to-house movement is so important as well. And if you have those things, 
you have a first century New Testament model church, and the church will thrive. And God will add to the church daily, it says. He added to the church daily. And one moment, he added 3,000. We're going to see next week. He added 5,000 to the church. It went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. Don't buy into this lie that God, you know, that it's, it's, it's virtuous to have a small church or 20 people or 60 people. I don't get, I despise not who was here. I, I love who's here. I never, you never hear me complain about who's here, who's not. I say, man, when two or three are gathered, there's a quorum for the Holy Spirit, amen? That's what I always say. I never, I never, you know, get affected by, you know, people. I do sometimes wish more people were hungry. That's, it doesn't bother me to preach to five people, 500 people, or 5,000 people. So it ain't about me or about trying to make me feel better about my ministry. I get discouraged because I know people need, they need the word of God to grow. They need God's word. So that kind of bothers me, okay? But God loves big churches. God loves big growth. He went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. That's 8,120 people, man. That's a big, that's a lot of people, man. And let's not be ashamed of that. And let's not criticize those people that, you know, have it. Let's believe God. We're going to have it. Amen. We're going to have it. Because like I said, these walls cannot contain, praise God. We'll be looking for property and trying to figure out what we can do. You never know, man. But I'll tell you what, if, you, if we as a people practice those, those verses there, 42 through 47, that is the model for the New Testament church that is powerful and changes communities. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for your attention today. God bless you guys.